hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab those. And we're going to the letter of the Ephesians, chapter 6. If you need a Bible, there's some there on the row there that you're on or maybe behind you. And if you're using those, you're going to page 765. Ephesians 6, verse 10 is where we'll, we'll be, page 765, if you're using the Bibles there on the chairs. And we're going uh, to be in these verses, um, broadly speaking, for the next two weeks as we bring our, our Battleground series to a close. So we've, we've covered a lot of ground since April 24th in this series. And so I'll, I'll reiterate to you, if, if you're visiting today, and some of the stuff, this one may be more familiar because it's a, it's a popular set of verses with the spiritual armor or the armor of God. But if some of the stuff that you hear sounds strange or different, um, I would encourage you to reserve judgment and go back and listen to the, to the series because we have laid a lot of groundwork that, that we're building on each week. I mean, we, we started out and, and we saw that there is no person who is neutral in this world. You're, you're either, uh, you either belong to God or you're part of the whole world that lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. So there's no neutral ground. There's no escaping the spiritual um, battle that takes place we can't hide from it. We can't ignore it. And that's why we did this series primarily is because we're engaged in a battle and ignorance is not a very good battle strategy. We need to know the tactics of the enemy and we need to, we need to know how he comes at us and what it looks like and how we engage. And so then we, we've talked about the, uh, the enemy, the devil, how he is a spiritual being created by God who has rebelled against God and he is leading others to rebel against God as well. And as we said, the whole world lies in his power. There's, there's a measure of authority, a measure of permission that God has given him for a season where he does have power and authority in this world that we live in, which is why Jesus calls him prince of, the, uh, of this world and the God of this age, things like that. Right? And we saw that it's not just Satan, this one spiritual being who's rebelled against God, but there's other spiritual beings that God had created. We'll call them, they were angels, right? We'll call them angels. But then they rebelled against God as well. They followed after Satan in his rebellion. And so we call those, typically we'll call them demons, right? They have other names, but we'll typically call them demons. And they are doing the same thing. They're, they're, they're working to oppress people, to afflict people, to influence people, um, both believers in God and those who are not believers in God. And, and they're behind the things of the occult. We've talked about that. Witchcraft, sorcery, tarot card, um, crystal ball, psychics, mediums, necromancers, conjuring up the dead. Um, they're behind those kind of things. They're behind other false religions. And so um, they lead people to worship false gods. We, we, we've seen how they, they influence people to, to uh, influence them to worship false gods. We've seen how those false gods that people are making sacrifices to, they're not just fictitious beings, but they're actually demons that people are making sacrifices to. So we, we, we've seen that, and we, we've seen that these demonic beings, they can, they can impact us in physical ways as well. And so we've seen several stories in the Bible of, of times when Jesus encountered somebody and their cause of their sickness or their disease or their disability was because of a spirit, an evil spirit that was bringing that about. And we've seen there was a case of the woman who was bent over for 18 years. And we're told that the reason she was bent over for 18 years, it wasn't, it wasn't purely simply a medical condition. It was an evil spirit, a spirit of sickness or disability causing that. And so sometimes we've seen that in order for a person to experience physical healing, if the cause of that sickness or disease or disability has some root in something demonic, then we've got to deal with that that spirit as well. And so we, we've seen the, the broad impact. We've seen that believers in Christ are not immune to being impacted by these spiritual beings. And that's why many of the letters encourage us, like James. In chapter 4 of James, we're told to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that's written to believers in Christ. And if there was no need for us to resist the devil, then we wouldn't have received that command by God through James. And so there must be some kind of consequence if we don't resist the devil then he's not going to flee from us. That means it can impact us as believers. We're, we're told by Peter that our, our, our enemy is like a, a roaring lion who's prowling around looking for someone to devour. So we need to stay sober-minded. We need to be watchful. Those are commands given to believers. And so we've seen that we are engaged in this battle. We cannot escape this battle. 
but we've also seen that uh, we resist the devil by being firm in our faith. And, and we, we stand firm against the enemy by, by being watchful, knowing what it looks like to, to be influenced to come under attack, knowing the types of ways they try to influence people. So we've, we've seen these kinds of things as we've gone through this series. Now, as we're wrapping it up, I've intentionally saved what is probably the best known set of verses when it comes to spiritual warfare. I've saved that for last because I wanted to lay the foundation that we've laid now. And then as we come to this for the next two weeks, I, want, I hope you're asking the question as you've been going through this series, so, so how does God help me in this? How, how do I resist? How do I stand firm? And these verses that we're going to see as, over the next couple of weeks is specific instruction that one tells us we cannot be ignorant, we cannot be naive or apathetic to the things that are going on around us, even in realms that we can't physically see. We can't, we can't ignore that. And then we're also going to see that God equips us to be able to stand against it. To, to, to operate in a world that, that, that is coming under attack by things we cannot see, and yet God helps us in that. That's where these verses are going to help us. And so what I want to do is read through verses 10 through 18, the first part of 18, and then today we're just going to focus uh, up through verse 13, and then next week we'll get into the, the actual armor itself. So if you'll look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 is where we're starting. We're going to read through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. These are likely familiar verses. Even if you've not been in church in a while, even if, if you're getting new into the church, you've probably been exposed to these verses if you've ever been in Sunday school or you've ever gone to a vacation Bible school or, or you've ever um, been around people who go to church. You've likely heard about the spiritual armor or the armor of God. You've probably learned songs about it if you, if you went into VBS or Sunday school as a kid. This is that, that set of verses. But as is true for us, Sometimes when we come across a set of verses that are well-known or familiar to us, we check out. Oh, I know these. I already know all about them. I already know about the spiritual armor. And yet, we, we, we don't continue to grow. Part of our growth as believers in Christ is that we never fully know anything about God. I can have studied this passage or these set of verses for 30 years, once, twice a year, in depth, and I can continue to learn new things. Why? Because the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and helps us to understand it. And so maybe He shows us some things where you, you haven't dug into this before. Or, or it's like an onion where, where He helps us to see different layers. Well, you've understood it to this extent and you've applied it in your life to this extent, but now let me help you see something else that you've not seen yet, that I've not shown you yet about how this applies to your life. And so we never want to approach the scripture, even if it's familiar, by checking out and going, oh, I know it. Instead, we always want to come to it and say, God, let your spirit give me understanding. This is your word. It's, it's from you. It carries your authority. Speak to me through your word. Let your spirit help me to understand this, this set of verses and how it looks to live it out in my life. We always want to come to it in that way. And so that's why I want to read it in full, but now we're going to go back and we're going to dig into verses 10 through 13 today. And here's what we're going to see as we go through 10 through 13. Believers, so believers in Jesus, Christians, believers are in a spiritual battle for which they need spiritual weapons. That might seem very fundamental. That might seem basic. And yet we don't live like this is true. 
We don't live like we understand this. Because we would all probably, if we've been around church a little while, we would acknowledge intellectually, yes, there is a realm, there's a spiritual realm that I don't see. Yes, I know enough about the scriptures to know that we, we have a spiritual battle, but then we don't live our lives like there's a spiritual battle going on. Instead, what happens is we live our lives like there's only what I see and I can manage that. But I hope what we'll see this morning is believers are in a spiritual battle for which they need spiritual weapons. So let's go back and look at it. Verse 10, finally, he says, so Paul's wrapping up his letter, but this finally carries some weight. It's not simply the last thing in a list because certainly he has been addressing certain things. It's not simply the last thing in a list, but this is, this is instruction. This is pay attention to what I'm about to say. Finally, you need to hear this, he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, our, our English translations, I'm, I'm trying to do this as often as I can just to help you understand what you hold in your hands. So you have in your hands some translation of the Bible in English, a New Living Translation, English Standard, King James, New King James, New International Version, something like that. That's a translation, an English translation, which was put together by a group of people studying the original languages, Greek for the New Testament. Right, And so based on their study of Greek, then they're looking at words, how those words are used in the context, how those words were used at the time of writing, how the same author Paul might have used these words, and they're translating it into English. Now, what they're doing, depending on your translation, every English translation has a goal. It has a target audience. It has a goal as to what it, what it wants to accomplish in its translation. Some translations are geared towards a ninth grade reading level, right? Like the, the New Living Translation would be one, it's, it's, it's meant to be and I don't know if this has even been updated. I don't know if this is current ninth grade reading level or if it was like a couple decades ago ninth grade reading level. That may make a difference, right? But, but it, it's geared towards a, a lower reading level. In other words, it's meant to be able to be understood easily. You're not having to work to look up words. You're not having to work to look things up. And then as you go through the translations, the, new, the NIV, the New International Version, is more like a 10th grade, 11th grade level. When you start getting to ESV, you're, you're talking and, and, and like New King James and King James, your language gets a little less common to our everyday vernacular, our everyday use, and so you're looking at more of a junior, senior type of level, right? So there's that level of translation, but then there's also is the translation going for, we want this to be able to be understood in the concepts. We want people to, to read through this verse and get the, the gist of this verse. New Living Translation um, would be like that. The NIV kind of more, more um, leans that way than it does the other way. But, but the goal is we want to make sure you understand the content and the gist of it. So they're not necessarily trying to get every single word that's in the Greek. They're trying to capture the, context, the, the, the concept. But then as you start to get to things like the ESV, the New American Standard Bible, um, the New King James Bible, their goal is more we want to capture what's there in the original language. That's our priority. And then whenever we can, without sacrificing capturing it in the original language, then we're going to make it readable so that it flows well, which is why a translation like um, the New American Standard Bible is kind of wooden as you read it. it. It doesn't read very well, but what its goal is, it's, here's, if, if you're looking at this, you can pretty much guarantee that the words, the English words, are trying to line up with the Greek words, and they're trying to keep it in as close to the same order as possible. Okay? I want you to understand that that's what you have in your hands. Okay? So sometimes when they translate things, they're trying to put it in good English for us. So something that might be um, said in the Greek in a, sp a particular way would not make sense in the English language because we don't, we don't have a place for it or it just wouldn't make sense. This is one of those places. All of that was so that I could say this to you. If you read this in this particular translation, it says, be strong in the Lord. That sounds like, and it is, an active command. You be strong in the Lord. That's how it reads. Nothing wrong with that, but it's helpful for us to understand what's behind that. Some of your translations do capture this. In the Greek language, it's more of a passive. So active is you do the action. You didn't know you were getting grammar lessons today, did you? You do the action. Passive is you receive the action. This is a passive command in the, in, the, in the Greek language. It is, you be strengthened in the Lord. That's slightly different than you be strong. It's you be strengthened. So as opposed to me pursuing something, which an active command might tell me to do, 
or I might get that impression from this, be strengthened is I receive something from somebody else who does the action. You be strengthened in the Lord. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. And the point is this. He's speaking to believers in Christ and he's given them instruction. You need to receive the strength that God gives. The source of that strength comes from God. It's not a strength that you have within yourself. It's not a strength that you can muster up on your own. For the instruction that he's about to give us about the battle that we are engaged in and the spiritual forces that we are, we are against, you have no strength to offer on your own. Therefore, he's saying you be strengthened in the Lord. You've got to receive the strength that God gives. Now, before we move on to this next word, the Lord, be strong in the Lord. Again, we don't do this in English. We wouldn't put the you in there because the you is implied. We could just say, Paul saying, hey, you, Ephesians, be strong in the Lord. Oftentimes when you and I read this, part of the reason I'm getting very technical on this today too is because I think a lot of you already know these verses. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help us look at it differently that we may not normally look at it. Not create new stuff, just help you see things you don't normally see. Be strong. The, the command is in the second person, that's you, but it's plural, which would be like where I'm from, y'all, right? And I think y'all say that too, right? You all, right? It's many people. In other words, we typically read this and we think individual. Part of that's just the way we're conditioned. Part of that's just because we're not, we're not necessarily going to see it unless we dig into it. You, plural, be strengthened in the Lord. So Paul is giving commands. Yes, he's instructing individuals because it takes individuals being strengthened in the Lord, but I don't want us to miss that he's talking to a church, a gathering of believers in Christ, and he's instructing them as a gathering, as a corporate group, as a group, you be strengthened in the Lord. That helps us to then expand our understanding of these verses behind, beyond just me individual to all of us who would call Houston home, all of us who are part of the body of Christ in the larger sense, we all must be strengthened in the Lord together. And yes, it includes me being strengthened individually, but it does not exclude us being strengthened together. So Paul says, be strengthened. Receive the strength that God gives. Now, the Lord, this one was new to me because I never dug into this. But I came across the Lord and I'm going, well, who does Paul mean? Because I know what I do when I see the Lord in Scripture. I immediately, so I, I immediately would say, well, that's God, either general or, or God the Father, right? Be strengthened in the Lord. And I would think like that. But when we start to dig, Paul's very intentional about how he refers to God the Father and Jesus. Now, here's the way you would come across finding this. Put in Lord, do a search in Bible software or a concordance, and just start with Ephesians. Where does Paul use the word Lord and what is it connected to? Who is it connected to? Then go a little broader. How does Paul use it in his other letters? Here's what you're going to find. When Paul says Lord, oftentimes, more often than not, it's connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or if Paul's quoting from the Old Testament, that's usually the only places where Lord means more God in general, right? Like we would talk about God and we don't think about it in our, in our minds, but that would include all of who God is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But oftentimes when we talk about God and Jesus, well, we know Jesus is God. But oftentimes when we say God, we mean God the Father, Jesus, who would be the Son, and then the Holy Spirit, who is God also. When Paul uses the word Lord, more often than not, almost always, he's referring to Jesus. As you go through the letter of Ephesians, he is most often referring to Jesus, which means this. Be strengthened in Jesus and the strength of his might. Now that's going to have some, some, it might be like splitting hairs perhaps because Jesus is God, except yes, but it helps us to understand what strength are we talking about and, 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 and where is that strength coming from? Paul says, be strengthened in the Lord, in Jesus. That strength is coming from Jesus. It's the very strength that Jesus gives to his followers. We're going we're gonna to hit that again in a moment. And he says, and he describes the being strengthened in the Lord as 
and in the strength of his might. Now, this phrase here gives us some specific information about what does, what does that strengthening look like? What does that power look like? Paul uses two words here, strength and might, right? But they do not necessarily mean the same thing. This word strength here, usually as Paul uses it and as it's used in other places, means the supernatural power that God has. So the, the type of power that, that exists in miracles, in signs, and in wonders, the supernatural power that God has, that's what this word that, that's behind strength is typically used for. And might is typically used for the type of inherent strength that one possesses, the type of strength that is belonging to a person because of who they are. And so what Paul is getting at is be strengthened in Jesus and in the supernatural power that is from the strength within who he is. Be strengthened in Jesus and the, the supernatural power that comes from his inner strength as, as the son of God. Now we do see Paul in Ephesians use these two words in combination in one other place. And you would need to go back to Ephesians chapter one to see this. Verse 19 and 20. He's talking about Christ, Jesus, and we pick it up in the middle of a sentence. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Great might, those are the two words. So great is the same word that is strength, and might is the same word that is might. So what Paul tells us in chapter one is that God, the Father, demonstrated some immeasurable greatness and power towards believers in Christ. That power, the immeasurable greatness of that power was the type of power that was seen in the working of his supernatural power from the strength that is inherent within him, which was ultimately demonstrated when Christ was raised from the dead. The same type of power that was demonstrated when Jesus raised from the dead is the same type of power that, G that Paul is telling us you need to be strengthened by in Jesus. Now that should help give us an understanding that we're not talking about just inner strength here, inner resolve, a more disciplined approach to things. What Paul is getting at is there is a power that God has. And it shows up in supernatural ways and it's sourced from who he is. It's part of his being. It was demonstrated when Jesus overcame death and that same power is the same power that Jesus has within himself and that he gives to believers in him. And that's what Paul says, you need to receive that strength. You need to be strengthened by that power in Jesus. Now that's a big deal. Because that means, one, I can't muster this up. Two, it's something that God gives in Christ. It's something that Jesus will give to believers. And Paul's going to say, this is the type of power, the type of strengthening I need in order to stand against what I oppose, those spiritual forces. Okay, so we go on and we'll see that. So verse 11. So then he says, put on. So, so how do I receive that strength, right? So, so there's be strengthened. Well, what does it look like? Where, what is the means by which God is gonna give me that type of strength in Christ? It's, it's not just that it's given to every believer automatically because now Paul says, you gotta put something on. So I've gotta receive strength, but I don't just get it just because I'm a believer in Christ. There, there's something that Paul's gonna say to me now that helps me understand I need to put it on. That's the active command. That's the, now here's what God does. He gives you strength, but you need to put it on. And the imagery here, put on the whole armor of God, it'd be like I'm putting on clothes, like I'm stepping through my pant legs, like I'm putting on my shirt. It's that, that kind of word. I'm, I'm putting it on. So I currently don't have it, but now I need to put it on. Be strengthened in the Lord. And he says, by putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So now Paul tells us about this whole armor of God. Now we're gonna get into that more as we do next week where we look at the individual pieces of armor that Paul talks about. But, but I think it, it's worth noting here. Now, 
Paul possibly is writing and possibly he's imprisoned when he's writing. Possibly he's writing in, in a Roman setting where he can see a Roman guard. Absolutely, there's some component to that where Paul is likely pulling on, well, this is this part of the Roman guard's um, you know, uh, uniform. This is this part of the Roman guard's uniform, things like that. There's certainly that part. But we don't want to focus in so much on that and miss what Paul's doing here. What we're going to see next week more so is when Paul references the armor of God, this is something that is found in the Old Testament. It's not just simply the armor that God gives. It's the armor that belongs to God because God himself is pictured wearing it in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah chapter 59. We're told about God as he's rescuing his people. We're told about the Messiah who is to come as he's, as he's coming and delivering his people that God himself, God's Messiah, is the one wearing this armor as they bring about the deliverance of God's people. And so the armor of God that, God, that Paul is telling us that we need to put on is not simply just the armor that God gives, it's the armor that God himself wears. So we are now putting on God, God's own armor. He's giving us his armor to put on. It kind of reminds me of the story of David and, and Goliath where Saul gives David his armor. Now the, the story will break down for my illustration because ultimately David doesn't keep the armor because he can't move around in it, right? But the idea is this is the king's armor. You need to wear the king's armor when you go to battle. Right? It's God's armor that, that Paul is telling us to put on, and it's not simply just the armor he gives. It's God himself's armor. It's what he, he wears himself as he acts to deliver his people. So Paul tells us, put it on. You, you've got to put it on, which means I currently don't have it if, if I haven't put it on. And there's never a command for me to take it off. Right? It's a command for me to put it on. Now, earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul told us to put something else on, right? He talked about to put off the old man and put on the new or put off the old self and put on the new. Paul has already used language like this. So there's something about this new person that I am in Christ and putting on the new person, walking in this newness that God has given me in Christ, who he's made me to be and putting on this armor. I've got to, I've got to put it on. Oh, how do I do that? Well, he doesn't tell us how to do that, but he's going to tell us what the armor is. And so there's going, to be, there's going to be descriptions of this is the armor. So putting it on then is going to be things like, I got to believe God is right and true. I've got to believe that God is righteous. I, I've, got to, I've got to base my life on these things. I'm asking the Lord to cover me in these things, right? So there's not like a, there's not like a physical thing we're going to do to put it on. That's what I'm getting at. But we're commanded to put it on. So there's something that I've got to go before the Lord and say, God, I want this on. I, I, here's what it is. I'm applying it to my life. I'm, I'm understanding what it is in truth, and now I'm applying it to the way I live. I'm living my life based on it. I'm putting it on. Okay? Put on the armor of God. Now, what's the reason? Why do I need to put on God's armor? And, and what's going to happen if I put on God's armor? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So there's schemes of the devil. Now, we've referenced this before, which is why we can't be ignorant in this battle. Ignorance is a, is a poor battle strategy. Why? Because the devil has schemes. He has plans. He has tactics. He has strategies. And they're coming at us regardless of whether we're standing against them or not. And so what Paul says is you need to put on God's armor so that you can stand against those schemes because they're coming regardless. You're already experiencing them but you can't stand against them unless you have God's armor. Now, Paul in Ephesians has talked about the devil twice before. Here's where we see that. Going back to chapter four, we looked at this for one week. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So we looked at that, how, how unresolved anger, unresolved bitterness within us opens the door for the devil to work in our lives, right? Some of our translation says it gives him a foothold. That would be very military-like language where he advances, he gains a victory, and now he, he's further into um, what we would say is his enemy's territory. He's further into our territory so that now he can operate from there. It's closer to our home base, and if he continues to gain footholds, then he gets closer and closer to our home base and he's able to operate from there. We don't want him in our territory. 
We don't want him operating from a base that's within our territory. We want him out, right? But Paul helped us to see that anger, if it's left unresolved, left unrepentant, it gives the devil an opportunity. Now, this is the place where he specifically directly mentions the devil. But if we go back to chapter two, we see this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's a reference to Satan. That's one of the ways um, that Paul is referencing Satan. The prince of the power of the air means the prince that has the power in this realm that, that we live and operate in, right? So he's the prince of the power of the air and that spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So putting those two together, if we're asking, well, well, what's the schemes of the devil? At least here's what we get from Paul in Ephesians. The schemes of the devil include gaining footholds, gaining opportunity into our life, not simply through anger, because as we looked at that week, we can take this and, and apply it to any unrepentant sin in our life. If we live in sin and we don't repent of that sin, but continue in it, we leave the door open for the devil to come in and work. So part of his schemes is to keep that door open so that he can come in whenever he wants. But then here with Ephesians chapter two, we see part of the devil's scheme is to get us to live like we once did as, as non-believers, as people who were dead in our trespasses and sins, as people who were spiritually dead, we lived according to the devil's plans, according to his way of living. And that's where he describes it as that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Disobedient against who? disobedient against God. So the devil's schemes, the devil's plan is to get us to, to leave the door open so that he can operate in our lives so that he can get us to live in disobedience to God. And that's a wide, a wide, a broad category now. So when Paul then says back in, in verse 11 that we need to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, we can't do that we can't get that door closed. We, we can't um, resist living in disobedience unless we have God's armor on. That's what Paul's telling us. You need the strength that comes from Christ, his power, the same power that raised him from the dead. You need that kind of power in your life at work and it comes with the armor of God. That's how then you're able to stand against the devil. Now, Paul, why do you say this to us? Why do you tell me that I need to stand against the devil? Didn't Jesus already do that? Didn't he already defeat the devil at the cross and in his resurrection? And we looked at that one week and we said, yes, a death blow was given, but he is still given a period of time, however long that is, where he is permitted to operate in this world, in this realm. So yes, the, the, the defeat of the devil was sealed at the, the cross and in the resurrection of Christ, but God is waiting for a future day and in the meantime, he's extending mercy to more and more people. But in that future day, he will ultimately finalize that judgment by throwing them into the lake of fire. But Paul, why do you say that I need to stand against him? Because of verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay, so what Paul's getting at here is my, my, my struggle, my battle, he says we don't wrestle, it's not simply against what I see. It's not simply what I experience physically, what I can hear, see, taste, touch. That has some significant ramifications for how I understand what goes on around me. He says, your battle's not simply physical and visible. It's not against flesh and blood. You're not really battling against people. Instead, he says, it's against the authorities, against the, uh, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, before I get into that, it's... We do not wrestle. It, I think sometimes we have a tendency to think that we, we're engaged in a battle. We'll concede that. We'll say, yes, we're engaged in a spiritual battle. But we, we then start to interpret that battle like the way we do warfare now. Like we, we drop bombs on people's heads, right? Or, or we, we, we're, we've got a bomber that's thousands of feet up in the air, untouchable, and drops it. Or now drones, Right? And we might picture, um, wrongly, we might picture the Holy Spirit as a drone just kind of up there and then just dropping missiles on individuals or, 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 or winning battles from us from a distance. 
or, or even if I go back a few, a, a few decades and, and we look at like conflicts like the Gulf War or things like that where it was more of a tank battle and we still think there's separation and so those tanks could get, a, get a, um, some distance away but then they can shoot from a distance, right? We tend to think of it like that. But this word here, we do not wrestle. This is hand-to-hand combat. This is close quarters fighting. This is the type of combat, if we're talking a military setting, this is the type of combat that if you're going into a place to clear a house because you're part of a striker team of some kind, and there's someone in there that as you get in, they rush you, and now your weapon, your, 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 your assault rifle is no longer effective because you're too close quartered. Now you've got to go hand to hand. In Paul's culture, this was the wrestlers in the Olympics. These were the people who were grappling with one another. And um, how many of you have wrestled in your life? Let's, let's just start with, you were on a wrestling team. How many of you did that? Okay, now then, maybe you're never on a wrestling team, but you've wrestled. How many of you did that? Yeah, yeah, siblings, right, right, okay. It's sweaty, it's messy, you get close enough to smell feet, armpits, right? You, you get hands all over the place in awkward spots. Sometimes you might get an eye poked, right? It's hand to hand, it's close quarters. That's the word Paul uses when he says, you're wrestle. You're not removed. I'm not removed from a distance from this battle and someone else is watching my, my back and dropping bombs. This is, I'm in the battle. I have no choice but to engage. And that's why Paul says you've got to have God's armor because your wrestle is not against flesh and blood. You can't see it, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil. These are all descriptions of spiritual beings. And, and when Paul uses these words, they're descriptions of spiritual beings who are in rebellion against God. We would broadly classify them as demons. Your wrestle, your close quarters combat is against spiritual beings. And he described them. And there may be some ranking here. There may be that, or it just may be different types of, of um of beings with different assignments, right? So when he says rulers and authorities, he's not talking about the physical rulers and authorities, kings and Caesars and presidents and dictators, although behind them are spiritual powers. And we looked at that one week when we talked about territorial spirits and things like that. It's against the cosmic powers. And he says over this present darkness. Well, Paul, Paul's talking about something that's in his day. He's not talking about a future present darkness. That would make no sense, right? He says this present darkness we live in what Paul is calling this present darkness. These are the type of beings that operate in this world at this time, this present darkness. Paul would say earlier in Ephesians, he would say, hey, redeem the time because the days are evil, right? And so the same kind of phrase here, um, this present darkness. Um, it's kind of alluding to we live in a time that is under some rule and authority of dark powers. It doesn't mean they're greater than God. It doesn't mean they're, they're more powerful than God. It just means in this realm that we live, that's what we experience. And then he, gives, he says against the spiritual forces of evil. And where are those spiritual forces of evil? In the heavenly places. Well, we've heard that from Paul already. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we've already heard about the heavenly places. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Paul says, my battle, my wrestle, is against spiritual forces that are in the heavenly places. If I don't remember chapter 1, verse 3, then that's overwhelming. I can't do anything about the spiritual uh, forces in the heavenly places. I can't see them. I, I am not equipped for them. Oh, believer in Christ, but you are because God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Does that mean the armor of God? That means the armor of God. Does that mean the strength that comes with, 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 with what Jesus gives us? That means the strength that Paul tells us, be strengthened by this in Christ, in the Lord. Yes, God gives us what we need to be able to resist and stand firm against these battles that are taking place that are impacting us. He gives that to us, but I can't do that in my own strength. I can't resist in my own power. I, I, can't, I can't see all the things that are happening all around me. Instead, I'm left to interpret it based on my own understanding. I'll come back to that in a moment. Let's look at 13. 
Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God. So a similar command as that in, in verse 11, just a slightly different word. Instead of put on, it's take up. Like I'm taking up this armor and I'm putting on, right? But the whole armor of God, he mentions it again. And the reason, the purpose, so that I'll be able to withstand a similar word to stand against, but to withstand, he just says it slightly different, in the evil day. Redeem the, day, the time because the days are evil. Well, when's the evil day? The evil day is now. The evil day is, is when I'm living in this world here and now, and I experience the attacks of the enemy. That's the evil day. When I experience the temptation to disobey God and to go back living like I did when I was dead in my trespasses and sins. That's the evil day. When I come under attack by these spiritual forces in the heavenly places, that's the evil day. Making it more corporate, when the church comes under attack by these spiritual forces in the, in, in, in the heavenly places, that's the evil day. What does that look like? As a church, as the body of Christ, that looks like, are we gonna start sacrificing the word of God for instead things that make us feel good? Are we gonna start calling what God calls sin, are we gonna call it good, right? These are the things that, that come at churches. Are we going to, in order to keep our numbers up, are we gonna, are we gonna cater to certain people and compromise the truth of God? These are the things that come against churches and they fall all the time, all the time. Churches are sliding all the time. Once what we would call conservative churches, sliding all the time. All in the name of this is love. This is more enlightened. This is keeping up with the times. This is going against what was patriarchal. This is whatever. And you can fill in the blanks to what that is because it's any number of things. So as a church... What does it look like to put on the armor of God? It means standing on the things that God gives us, the things that he's revealed to us about who he is. It's us being strengthened in Christ so that when we are living in the evil day and we, we come up against these spiritual forces, we don't cave. We, we, don't get, we don't get attacked and then fall because we weren't wearing God's armor. And he says, and having done all to stand firm. We can we can stand firm against the devil and his schemes, oftentimes carried out by demonic beings. We can, but it, it's important for us to understand that we are in a spiritual battle and therefore we need spiritual weapons. So when I think about our battles not against flesh and blood, if you're a student in here, you're, you have kids in your class and you don't get along with every one of them, every one of them perhaps. Sometimes there might be some conflict between you and your classmates. What this means for you is you need to understand, student, your battle, your struggle that you're experiencing, though it appears to be conflict simply with a classmate, is not simply conflict with a classmate. There's something spiritual going on that you may not be able to see because if the enemy can get you to be divided against your classmate and now you view your classmate as your enemy, guess what you're not going to likely do? You're not going to likely be salt and light to that classmate who might need that, right? And so then you might find that your battle's against them. Or again, students, maybe you find yourself competing for the same guy. So obviously I'm talking to girls right now. Right? You might find yourself competing for the same guy. And so now you and your once friend have both a crush on the same guy. And so now you're at odds with one another. Hey, your battle, your struggle in that moment is not simply with your friend. It's not simply a battle between girls who like the same guy because that's gonna cause division. And once where there may have been a good and right and healthy friendship, if the enemy can bring a division because you're idolizing a guy did I say that? I did say that because that's what happens oftentimes for us is we idolize somebody. It can be a guy or a girl, right? But we put all of our attention and affection on them and we shape our life around them so that in my day, I had a big school. My graduating class was 617 people. And so in that, class, in that school itself, we were like two to 3,000 people. So we're walking through hallways. You may or may not see the same person every day. But if you had a crush you would reorient the way you took to class. And you might go the, the long way so you can get down the hallway at this period because that's when you would see that person. That's, that's reshaping your life. That's why I say it's an idol. Okay, but the battle's not against flesh and blood there. There's something more going on. I need to be able to see that. 
teachers, I'm, I'm on a school kick right now, but teachers, when you have conflict with your students, same thing. Easy now as we start the school year, right? Because we're a little more fresh. But as your school year goes on, your conflict is not simply against flesh and blood. Coworkers in your workplace, someone's gossiping about someone else. Someone's undermining you so that they can get the promotion or they can get the extra hours. And they lie or they undercut. And you are now tempted to do the same thing in order to keep up. That's not a battle that's simply flesh and blood. That's a spiritual battle taking place. Will you compromise? Will you be disobedient to the Lord and compromise the truth? Will you cheat other people? Will you lie? That's the kind of thing that's going on because if the devil can get you to do that, doors open and you're not living as light. Instead, you're living in darkness. Within our marriages, where there's conflict within our marriages, there will be conflict in a marriage. Conflict itself is not a bad thing. It's how we handle the conflict oftentimes that makes the difference, right? But if we look at the conflict in our marriage and it's continuing to build up and we start to see one another as the enemy or you always do this, you never do that, you, you don't think about me in this, right? We can't lose sight that the devil would love nothing more than to take a marriage that is biblically grounded and reflects the gospel by design and to divide it. Because if he can divide a marriage that is biblically grounded and reflects the gospel by God's design, then the world looks at that and says, see, the word of God's not true. God's not true. That's a spiritual battle. Parents, as we're parenting our kids, spiritual battle. And the list goes on and on and on. The temptations that I experienced throughout a given day, there's a spiritual battles. They could be coming from any number of sources. It could be my flesh, this who I am in Adam, the sinfulness that still lives with me until Christ comes back. It could be a demonic being that's trying to influence me or even capitalize on something I'm already being tempted by. It could be that I'm just living in the world that belongs to the evil one and I'm buying in or I'm being tempted to buy in to the values and the pleasures. It could be any of those things, right? But that's a spiritual battle. It's not simply what I see. Therefore, I can't attack it. I can't resist it with armor that I create myself. I can't, I can't attack it. I can't stand against it with strength that I muster up. I need to be strengthened in Christ with the supernatural power that comes from his very being. The type of power that God raised Jesus from the dead, overcoming sin and death the type of power that becomes available to those who trust in Christ's death and resurrection on their behalf. That's not power that's available to someone who's not in Christ. That's power available to those in Christ. Are you in Christ? You're in the battle regardless. Do you belong to God or are you under the power of the whole world that lies in the power of the evil? It's either or. And if you should today Re, re, realize that you are under the power of the evil one because you don't belong to Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear God's voice calling you, do not harden your heart, but respond today. You turn from whatever it is you're trusting in, your own abilities, or, or one day in the future I'm going to deal with this. What if you don't have that one day in the future? You turn today, and you turn and you trust in Christ. What God has done in Christ is enough. What he accomplished in Christ's death and his resurrection from the dead is what you need to be made right with God, to be brought from death to life, to receive the spirit of God, to receive the strength that comes in Christ, to be able to stand against the things that are coming against you. Because we're in a spiritual battle and we need spiritual weapons. And so God, as we let this sit on us now, do you let your spirit give us an understanding of your word and show us how it applies to our life. Show us the things we need to see. Help us understand the things we need to understand. And God, shine light in the areas of darkness in us that we might bring it before you.
Father, just statistically, I know that in this room alone, around the gathering area watching, there are people that are experiencing attack. God, right now I'm asking that you would strengthen them in the Lord. That you would would help us to put on the armor of God as a group of believers. And for those who are individually experiencing attacks now, maybe they're just now seeing it. God, they they would come to you to receive the armor that you give us, putting it on, trusting in who you are and what you've said and what you've done in Christ. God, that you would, you would give them what they need and what they lack. Right now, God, that you would encourage them. Help them to see it for what it is. Call it what it is. And then receive from you the strength and the power necessary to stand against it. And God, would you strengthen us as a, as a church, as, as Houston Church, as a, a group of believers gathered here from, from the surrounding towns in this area. Would you strengthen us as a church in Christ that we might receive the power that comes from who he is and his strength that resides within him, that we too might stand against the schemes of the devil, that we as a, as a congregation might put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, not picking and choosing different pieces, so that when we experience that hand-to-hand combat, close-quarters combat, we're not ill-equipped. Here in just a moment, we're going to dismiss. If, if you would like to have someone pray with you, we'll have some folks available. So if you're part of our prayer team and you're available to pray today, would you go ahead and make your way different places in the room? We've got some space up front, maybe one or two in the back. And then we have a room right outside this hallway to your left, room 117, where if you want a more private setting, there'll be folks there available for you as well. So prayer team, you can go ahead and make your way now. And if you're looking for prayer from somebody, it doesn't have to be tied to the sermon. It may be, hey, I had, I had people praying for physical pain earlier, but maybe you have something else that you would like someone to ask God for healing on. Come to these people. They're ready for that. Or maybe you have questions about what does it look like to trust in God and to believe in the gospel. They're prepared for you to ask those kind of questions and to have a conversation with you about that. So these folks are available for you, okay? With that, if you're able to stand, will you stand and we'll dismiss? We are indeed engaged in a battle, whether we want to be or not. But we have a general who has the best weapons that there is. There is none more powerful. There is none that can outwit him. And he's offered them to us in full. So depart from here as people who are in Christ and have the armor of God and walk in it, live in it, and don't ever take it off. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you next week.